Okay. Parshas Va'era. Parshas Va'era. So we ba- this is this is where this is pretty much it. You know, we have the uh, the uh, slavery in Egypt intensifies, and uh, we have the first seven plagues of the ten plagues. So a lot uh, a lot of excitement. I wanted to start in chapter six, verse five. So that's pretty much at the beginning of the parsha. It says that the God of Moshe are having a pretty intense conversation. God said it's time to take the Jews out. It says, God said, I have heard the groan of the Jews whom Egypt enslaves, and I have remembered my covenants. That's what it says. Now, interestingly, there's an extra word in this verse. It says, and also starts off, the verse starts off with, and also. So the Midrash and kind of is pretty classic in uh, analyzing the Torah. Um, you know, uh, wants to know what the word also means. So I saw the Hassam Sofer, a great rabbi from the 1800s, he says that it's referring to not only, of course, God heard the cries of the Jewish people, but the Jewish people heard each other's cries and that's a beautiful thing that very often if when, when we're in pain we can't uh we can't we don't uh hear or even notice or certainly care about other people who are in pain and actually the greatest way and i'm not a didn't have any long formal training but my understanding is that actually that's a great way to cope with pain is to actually pay attention to other people's um, needs. Chava is uh, shaking her head. <laughs> um, so um, so I think that's a beautiful thing. You know, when, uh, there's, there's nothing actually more inspiring, you know, when you hear when, when someone is, uh, is, is things are, go, are going hard for them and they, so it, 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 the other people feel appreciated. You aren't just stuck in your anguish. It's just a beautiful, nice little lesson that the Chassam Sofer uh, points out. Um, so in, this is another really interesting one. So there's a in the Jerusalem Talmud, it points out uh, in the verse over here. So in chapter 6, verse 13, it says... God spoke to Moses and to Aaron and commanded them regarding the children of Israel and regarding Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to take the children of Israel out of Egypt. That's it. Black on white. God says, it's time to leave. Tell the Jewish people it's time to leave. Tell Pharaoh it's over. And the Yushalmi, when when the uh, Jerusalem Talmud, when focusing on this verse, he says a fascinating thing, and I never heard this before. He says that part of it is a lot of, it's a very wordy verse. He says that Moshe and Aaron, besides the, the simple commandment to tell him to leave, he actually, God told Moshe and Aaron to tell them about a law that wouldn't be applicable for like 50 years. What was the law? There's a law when the Jews are in Israel, and not really relevant so much today, but in theory it is, 
that there's a year called the Jubilee year, right? The Jewish calendar, uh, besides having there's cycles in the calendar, there's year cycles. So the there's cycles of seven, right? Six years and then a Shemitah year, a sabbatical year. And then when there's seven cycles of seven, so the 50th year is the Jubilee year. There's all kinds of special things that happen in the that happen every year in the in the, uh, in the jubilee year but well, one of them is an interesting idea in the torah there is contrary to what happened in the south in america and what happens in many places today the torah has a concept of uh servant servanthood and the torah's concept when one learns about it and studies it, it's actually a beautiful concept the concept is basically rehabilitation and uh, Judaism has had this concept for years. The basic idea of Jewish servitude is when you have a criminal who, uh, instead of putting them in jail with a bunch of other people like them, what they used to do was if, if, is they used to sometimes um, offer the person to be a butler or a, I guess, a maidservant. Uh, in uh, in a wealthy person's upstanding citizen's house, and it was a, considered a a person was very well taken care of, in exchange for their working. And the idea was it wasn't meant to be a lifelong thing. And one of the times that there were different times when you could be let out, but the maximum, maximum, maximum would be out the jubilee year. And so the Rishami says this was a commandment that God said to tell the Jewish people right now, before they start the freedom process, while they're still in this slavery, tell the Jews about this law. So Reb Chaim Shmulevit says, what, what was the uh, thought behind this? The thought behind this is that, you know, even as, as, as humane and merciful as the Jewish concept of servitude is it still could unfortunately like any situation things can get out of hand you know all good things could possibly be be corrupted marriage is a beautiful thing unfortunately marriage can get corrupted parenthood is nothing more beautiful than a parent's child relationship and unfortunately that gets corrupted anything in the world could could get corrupted especially if one feels more power so what Hashem wanted the Jewish people to say, the only way to really, really, really relate to someone else and to treat them properly is when you're in their shoes. And, and God was saying, look, hey, you know, we wouldn't have asked for this, but the reality is the Jews are in a state of slavery and they know it doesn't feel good and they want to get out. So says, so right now, when it has no relevance at all, is when is the time to teach them this idea so they'll be completely sympathetic in the future when it comes up. And that's a lesson of Chaim Shmulevit says that, um, um, that, that we need to look, it's a help, helpful way to look at our life's experiences. When we have a life experience which isn't pleasant and we're not appreciating it, one of the ways that, one of the purposes of it is that it's designed to help us be able to treat other people different uh, in a better way when when, when we may be the, the tables might be turned and we're thinking about 
um, other people. Um, so that so that's a really cool story. So that's a really cool idea. Um, okay. So actually, there's a really famous story. I actually heard this story said in many uh, different ways, but I uh, actually saw it inside. I didn't even know who. I never. It's actually it was a specific rabbi who who it was with. His name is um, is Rabbi Mizell. And the story with Rabbi Mizell is that I actually heard it with. I, it's a famous Jewish folklore story, and the story goes that there was a rabbi trying to raise money for a poor poor family that, that didn't have uh, firewood for their house. And what happened was is that he went to a very wealthy person, and he stood about fifty feet from the door, and he calls out to the house and says, you know. Mr. Mr. Richman, whoever you are, uh, I need to talk to you about something. So the rich man was had respect. He walks all the way out, 50 feet from the house in the freezing cold. He figured he would just walk the rabbi in, but so he didn't bring his coat out. And little he know, the rabbi starts schmoozing with him for about 10 minutes. And he and the, the rich man starts to shiver and he gets cold and he gets more cold. And finally, after about 15 minutes, when the guy's shivering, the uh, Rabbi Mizell says, okay, let's go inside. They go inside, and, and um, Rabbi Mizell said, you're probably wondering why I was schmoozing outside for so long. It's kind of cold outside. He's like, yeah, I was actually kind of getting a little annoyed. I don't know exactly what was going on. He's like, well, you know what? I wanted you to feel the way those people feel in their house when they don't have firewood. And that, says Rechaim Shulevitz, is why... Hashem, at, specifically at this juncture, commanded the Jewish people that they're going to have to treat their slaves properly. But as soon as you leave that that frame of mind, you're never going to go back there again, and you can never quite um, relate to this. I mean, I'm sure we all we all have this, and um, that's what the Yishami says is the point. Okay, um, here we have probably one of the most famous ideas in this week's parsha. Famous Rashi, chapter 7, verse 19. Rashi says the famous thing that the first three plagues were not able to be initiated by Moshe. Because why? Were, how were they initiated? Moshe had to take this, his staff and hit, or whatever that was, the, uh, the Nile, and the, and the water turned to blood, and Moshe had received benefit from the Nile because the Nile was where he had his refuge when he was being hidden from the uh, from the uh, Egyptians who thought they were trying to kill all the babies. And then you have the other ones where uh, it was going to be hurting the ground, and the ground had helped Moshe because when he killed the Egyptian, the ground swallowed it up. So the famous Rashi over here, and there's a famous uh, piece of Talmud, it says, it says this, actually I think it's probably been borrowed by everybody, it says, if you drink water from a well, don't throw stones in it. So all the Bali Musser, all the um, Jewish philosophers, they all say, we see from here, if you have to have gratitude towards inanimate objects, you certainly have to have uh, gratitude um, toward, towards people. And this is a basic, basic, basic 
Jewish uh, idea, the idea of recognizing good and being thankful for it. But it's much, 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 much more than that. This is something that I think all mothers, all teachers, all try to uh, instill in their children. And it goes like this. That this I saw from a, uh, a DF, his name is Rabbi Mayor Rubman. And he says, in, Ju- in, in, in Judaism, when we refer to someone being thankful, when you, in, in Judaism, when we teach, we don't say, it's not called being thankful. It's called, do you have hakaras hatov? Hakaras hatov does not mean to be thankful. Hakaras hatov means to recognize the good. Doesn't even say you actually thank. Just says the character trait of noticing when good is done to you. Says Rabbi Rubman, a basic, basic ten is at the first beginning of the initiation of the Jewish people, the very beginning, the first few plagues. We're nailing down the foundation for life as a human being and as a Jew, that it doesn't matter if the benefactor, here the water, the ground, is aware, or if the benefactor is sensitive and they want remuneration, it actually has nothing to do with that. It's about me recognizing when I have received something, which answers a lot of questions. You know, is we receive things from God. God doesn't need it. It doesn't cost God anything. It doesn't cost an effort. But for our self-development as human beings, and specifically as Jews, is the basic morality is that when I receive something, I need, I now owe. I owe. You know, it, it's kind of used in as a um, little bit as a pithy statement, or maybe even a little bit negative, but there's no such thing as a free lunch. It's not just a business quip. In life, there is no such thing as a free lunch. Our lives aren't, aren't free. Nothing we have is free. If we receive, it's not a question of being coerced or being twisted. The basic, basic morality, and we learn this from God. Throughout the Torah, the Torah takes many, many, many stories and verses to show us how God always repays something. And it's about our refining our ability to be aware of when we receive and understanding, well, well, when one receives, one needs to reciprocate. Not reciprocate, but a certain amount you owe. Um, famous story, true story, 1984. And it's, it's really, it's really, um, I, I've been, I'm, I circle in the Jewish world. I hear all these stories and you hear all these stories and find, and then eventually sometimes you actually find the source. So this is the second story I, in my, uh, my preparing for this class. I, I found the actual story that I heard many times. And it's cool. You find the details. So this happened in 1984. There was a uh, woman named Ethel Levine nice Jewish old lady, and she was in some sort of summer program, and she was a real vibrant woman for her age, and her family was thought it was a great opportunity for her to kind of enjoy things a little more in the summer. Unfortunately, the daughter uh, gets a call from the nursing home, uh, and uh, they said, we're sorry, um, 
are you, uh, you know, are you the daughter of Ethel Levine? He said, yes. Well, your, uh, your mom passed away. She was in shock. She's like, I'm really sorry to be so uh, uh, technical, but we do need someone to come and identify the body. And she's like, I can't, I just can't. She sends some cousin or something. So, uh, and the cousin goes and the cousin also kind of flipped out and they didn't really do due diligence. Um, but quickly identified the body and and came home. This woman was a very prestigious woman in her uh, in her community. So they had a big funeral pre-COVID, hopefully post-COVID, uh, very soon. <clears throat> there was a few hundred people there and speakers and wonderful things happened. Big, big honor. The daughter's still in shock. She goes home. She's sitting shiva. Two days into Shiva, someone calls, and so she picks up the phone, and let's say the daughter's name was uh, Miriam. She says, Miriam! And the daughter said, yes. It's mom. He's like, okay, whoever you are, it's not a time for jokes. I really can't handle it right now. It's like, no, 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 Miriam, it's the... There was a problem with my medicine, so I kind of hibernated and for a couple of days. But I'm, I'm just just gonna say hello. He's like, Mom, it's good to hear you. She quickly calls the nur the nursing home front desk, and it turns out there were two Ethel Levines in the same program. And unfortunately, when the relative went to identify the body. They didn't do a good job, and they falsely uh, identified it was not the right, it wasn't the person. She was alive and well. So the daughter quickly, uh, the daughter had kind of become attached to this person who she never knew, but she spent a lot of time with the body while, you know, this, watching the body and everything she, just, she had, she felt, had a feeling for it. So uh, she called up the, uh, the real family and said, you know, sorry, but, you know, your, your, your mother passed away and, and is buried in, in my mother's grave. And, you know, I just wanted to start working out. I'm sure you, you want to put her where she's supposed to go. And the family didn't want to hear anything. Family didn't want to hear nothing. No, I said, look, she's buried already. Just leave her. And the family didn't want anything to do with it. And this woman took it upon herself to actually go there and deal with the cemetery and have the body properly moved over and 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 uh, the family wanted nothing to do with it. She was trying to understand why why would this happen? Why could this possibly be designed? And she found from a great rabbi, the great rabbi said, you know what? This woman who passed away, she, for whatever reason, her family was not going to treat her properly. Who knows what would have happened if the original family would have would have gotten the news originally? Who knows? God forbid. Instead, this woman, what did she get? She got such a beautiful funeral. Hundreds of people treated properly. And that, and now why did she get it? Said the great rabbi, you know, because in this week's parsha, we learned that God, this woman deserved that. And if God needs someone, because God, quote-unquote, owes someone. 
he 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 uh, models that for us. He can turn over everything now to make that happen. Now, obviously, why would Hush, obviously God also needed that all those people needed to have those 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 challenges also. But that's something that we learn from Hashem. Hashem, Hashem if someone's supposed to get something, Hashem quote unquote owes someone. Hashem will do, and you see this with great people. It's I mean I I, uh, I see it with you know. Um, family and friends who really develop themselves they it's not a, it's not like an ego thing that like they don't want to take favors they don't want to be beholden it's not about that it's that they truly um they truly recognize when good is done to them and and that's basic morality and judaism is based on that god give us our life we kind of owe him okay we're running out of time here but there's so much good things here okay Let's go to chapter 6, verse 3. So here we're at the beginning. Moshe is still kind of giving Hashem a little bit of a hard time in, 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 in his own way. And God, to some degree, has enough. He says, you know what? Your grandparents, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and I... It only appeared to them with the name Shakai. I didn't, I didn't deal with them with, with my regular name. And Rashi says what that means is that God gave a bunch of promises to, our, to our, our forefathers, and they didn't see them fulfilled in their lifetime. In fact, they saw the opposite. God promised the land of Israel, right, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All three of them had to pay for the usage of the land of Israel. And it was a pain in the neck. Abraham dealt with finding a burial spot for Sarah. Isaac had a whole problem getting water with the Philistines. And Jacob had, had to buy this whole, the, the, he finally found a place to settle. He had to pay for Shechem. Then his wife and his daughter gets raped there. I mean, it, and it's just God says, they didn't complain to me. They just trusted me. You, you're going to see in your lifetime. You are going to see in your lifetime, and okay, you're having some difficulties. It's not going well. Power is not listening. The Jews are being stiff-necked. So that's the complaint that Hashem has against Moshe. So the Chavetz Chaim asks that, he's like, I don't get it. Moshe was advocating. He wasn't just fetching. Moshe was advocating for the Jewish people. He was saying, look, Hashem, it's not working. There's a program here. Paro's not listening. I went to Paro. I said, help the Jews. Paro makes the work harder. So he wasn't fetching in like fetching sense. He was advocating. And in truth, throughout the Torah, for the next 40 years, Moshe consistently advocates. Certainly by, 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 the, uh, by the golden calf he advocates. And he even says, take me out of your Torah. And, and numerous places. And every time Hashem likes it, Hashem values and appreciates that Moshe is, quote unquote, mouthing off to God and saying, God, what, what are you doing? So that's, so there's two problems. One is, what's the problem here? And two is, why is God bringing in the fact that the forefathers didn't complain and Moshe did. Again, the forefathers, it was a personal issue. It wasn't a community issue. So a person can, you know, quote, unquote, let things go for themselves. But I can't be a, a tzaddik or a tzaddikis on your 
Moshe has a, he's a leader. He can't just let things go. So that's the question that many commentators bring up. And the Chavetz Chaim says a, a very interesting idea. He says Moshe was completely in line. He was right on. But he said one word. One word that throws the whole thing off. I'm trying to remember where the word is. It's somewhere. Give me a second. Maybe it's in last week's Parsha. Hang on. Let's see. Yeah. And 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 end of, of, of uh, last week's Parsha. Verse 22, it says, Moshe said to Hashem, Hashem, why have you done evil to this people? And then he goes on with his general complaints. So the Chavetz Chaim says, he should not have made a statement that God, what you did is evil. Now, obviously, Moshe didn't mean that the way I would mean it. He meant it in some you know, very specific way. But to some degree, Hashem's telling Moshe, advocate. You know, you know, lobby, be sensitive, fight, but don't come in with a little bit of humility. I'm God. <laughs> you know, I might know a thing you don't know, so I want you to advocate. I want you to to um, to uh, to push, but don't say with definity that this is bad. And 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 the Chavetz Chaim, who we know is the big propagator of people not judging people, you know, this is way before the politically correct movement, way before any, any, any isms that we have. The Chafetz Chaim advocated for not judging. And he really is the Torah. The Torah says not to judge. Um, not to judge unfairly. And the idea is that we can get involved in many, many activities, many initiatives, and some can get pretty sensitive, and it's okay to challenge things and push the envelope and maybe to have difficult, maybe even um, confrontational, uh, testy conversations. But we always have to come in with a certain uh, healthy dose of humility, certainly towards God, but really to everybody. We don't all, we, we never know the whole story. We never know the whole story, even with ourselves. We don't know the whole story with other people, and certainly with God. And that's actually something which I've, I've found. Um, you know, if someone is a humble, someone asked me once, um, with COVID, it's not as tricky because we're limited to the people that you kind of knew from before. So I'm not like doing, you know, I'm not going to, you know, all my swinging parties and Israel trips and picking up new people. And because and it's, you know, so, you know, when you're meeting a lot of people on a regular basis, you a little bit have to figure out, well, if I have a lot of people who want to learn with me, who do, how do I triage my time? And, and uh, one of the big uh, pieces of advice given is, is all things the same. Obviously, don't turn away anybody. But if you're going to focus your efforts, your efforts are going to be most... Um, well-received with people who are humble because people who are humble are able to learn, they're listening, and they, then they can actually consider things that you're saying. Um, okay, that's what the Chavetz Chaim says. We have time for a couple more ideas. Okay. 
the seventh plague, right? We got blood, frogs, lice, wild animals, uh, pestilence to the animals. We have the, the boils, and then we have the hail. The hail was a very interesting commandment. The hail, in chapter 9, verse 20, says, God gives a whole prelude. What does he say? Oh, so he says how it's going to be the worst plague ever, and I'm warning you, be careful, it's just, it's going to be serious business. And then the Torah gives a little bit of a, has a little bit of a narration. And it says, whoever among the servants of Pharaoh feared the word of God, they put their servants and livestock inside. And whoever did not take the word of God to heart, left their servants and livestock outside. Okay, famous idea. The, um, the Medrash says that who were these different categories of people? And the Medrash says that, the, he actually says, if you pay attention to the verses, the verses are actually somewhat in singular when they really should be more in plural. And the singular refers to who's a person who feared God. It was Job. Job was still in Egypt and he was around and he put his things away. Who didn't fear God was referring to Bilam. So it's interesting. What's it? Is there something to learn from that? So where did I see it? Um, Chavetz Chaim again. Yeah. Chavetz Chaim. He's so famous. Chavetz Chaim, people don't realize. Chavetz Chaim was an expert at everything. Jewish law, philosophy, Torah. I mean, the Lashon Hara. It's just, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. Uh, he was the greatest sage. People, he's he's known more as a person who works on character development, but he really was an expert in everything. So he says, what was Bilam's issue? And again, this is something we can learn from this. Bilam's issue was, and he has many proofs to this, is that he did not think. He was brilliant. He knew everything about the universe. In a certain sense, the Torah says he was as great and knowledgeable as Moshe. He, he knew, he understood the spiritual realm, the physical realm, the celestial realms, metaphysical realms, everything. And he actually had a certain part of his personality that was very refined. But his problem, and Chavetz Lyon proves this in many places, don't have time to, to bring all of his beautiful proofs, but is that he, the all his his thing is that there are he did not allow himself to think at times. If he was if he wanted to do something, he 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 stayed away from thinking, like it was it was the worst disease. Because as soon as he would allow himself to think, he would not he would not he he wouldn't do it. He was too smart and wise of, of a person. So over here says the Chavetz Chaim. To not put your animals inside what, what made zero sense. Moshe was six for six with precision with the forecasts of the first six plagues. And there was lo lots that he forecast and he kept and he was like act pinpoint accuracy. Things started, things stopped. You gotta be insane. And the answer was if you thought about it then of course you would. And he goes and shows throughout Bilam's life that, that that's his claim. And that's what he does. He doesn't think. 
And Eov is the opposite. Eov's a thinker. So at the beginning of COVID, one of the things which when we actually were quote-unquote paying attention to uh, business not being as usual, now we kind of are unfortunately used to it, and it's not a good thing, but it, it's uh, normal. But one of the things that we're supposed to do was when things aren't as usual, we're supposed to think. You know, and that's something that, uh, you know, and now with, we have all these uh, labor-saving devices supposed to give us more time to think, but we all know we have less time to think than we ever have. And that's something that we, we certainly don't want to go into Billum's camp of ma making dumb decisions uh, uh, when, because we, was, we don't think. Okay. So this week's Parsha were introduced to Moshe's parents. We kind of heard about them before. Last week's Parsha, it says a man from the, from the tribe of Levi and a woman from the house of Levi had kids. Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam. <clears throat> it's not until this week's Parsha, when Moshe is heralded as the leader, as the savior, where the Torah actually tells us their names. Why? You, you say the name is the beginning. Why do you wait till the story is already 80 years in? We don't find out Moshe's parents' names till he's 80 years old. So Ramosha Feinstein asked this question. And he says a, a, a very insightful answer. He says, when Moshe was born, the Torah says, I don't know if it's in the Torah, I think it's in the Torah, but it's definitely in the Medrash, that his parents said, Ki Tov, this is a good baby. He was shining. He was born circumcised. They had, they felt there was a very, this was a very special child. When God created the world, the first six days, or almost six days, what does God keep saying about creation? Kito. It's good. Kito means potential. Kito means potential. On the last day of creation, when God was done with creation, it says, God says, Kitov me'od. It's very good. What does that mean? The world had gone from potential into full actualization. Moshe, later on in life, is called a anav me'od. He was very humble. Says Ramosha Feinstein, you know, if that, one would think, wow, the best parents, someone would ask, most people ask the question, who's the greatest man to ever live? Who's the greatest woman to ever live? People say, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Leah, whatever, Esther, whatever you're going to say. And, but who would, who's the greatest parents? Well, you think the greatest parents are of the greatest people, right? Well, the, that, that very well could be, because very hard to have a great person without great parents. But greatest parents, the greatest parent award does not go to the parents of the most gifted children. The greatest parent reward could go to the greatest, the parents who, who 
help their children realize their potential the most. That's where parents can somewhat, quote-unquote, take have a big share in. In last week's Parsha, Moshe was born. He was potential. Yes, he had perhaps in a certain sense had the greatest potential of, for any human being in history. But Moshe could have squandered it. He could have squandered it. He, he could have. It's in this week's Parsha where Moshe self-actualizes. He actually takes that potential. And at that point, Hashem, the, the Torah gives the credit uh, to his parents and says, wow, here's, here's, here's a person who came from such great people. And, uh, of course, we know about ourselves and about, you know, as a parent, you get, you're proud, you have a smart kid, an athletic kid, a talented kid. And about yourself, you can say, wow, I'm talented at this, I'm good at this, right? But we all know that, yes, one should take pride in it and, and, and be, um, have self-confidence and have self-esteem. And, and, but it, the, the, the real, real things to be proud of are what you do with what you get. What, what, what you do with, actually, we all know the worst thing in the world is wasted potential. You see a very smart person, a very talented person, and they don't use it. There's nothing more depressing than, uh, than seeing that. And that's why, says Moshe Feinstein, the Torah waited till now. I'll say one more idea, and then we will do a quick, rack, a quick uh, wrap up. Moshe, when advocating for the Jews in the middle of the plagues that they should be able to pray to and bring the sacrifices, so Pharaoh says, sure, do it in Egypt. So, so Moshe says, sorry, says in, um, in the chapter 8, verse 21 and 22, uh, I can't do that, Pharaoh, because um, your nation's going to stone us. Moshe, <laughs> Egypt's in shambles. We're several plagues in already. The Egyptians aren't doing anything. They may not like it, but they're not going to stone you, Moshe. God is in complete control now, putting on a circus over here. Says the Chassam Sofer. Chassam Sofer says, that wasn't when Mo Moshe wasn't saying that. Moshe wasn't concerned for safety. Moshe was saying, it's not nice. They're going to be in emotional pain. They, yes, they need to be punished. And God is taking care of that. God is under control. But God didn't say that we should torture them. He did not tell us that. And, 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 and this is unfortunately when you have good governments and bad governments. And bad governments and terrorist governments, when they have captives, unfortunately, they, they terrorize them. Hopefully in more civilized places, when people, unfortunately, are, are taken into custody, they're treated appropriately. And that's what Moshe was saying. You know what? Just because they did one thing wrong does not mean that I can now give them the emotional pain of being in pain of seeing us. Yes, they're wrong. They're wrong on every account. They're wrong about that the, the animals are gods. They're wrong about how they, how they treated us. But that's not my business to flaunt it in a way which I can avoid giving them emotional pain. And that's uh, what Rapam he, uh, he, uh, he, he brings this out and says that even, you know, if, you, if I know that I have a, a worldview or I have a certain practice and I'm right about it, and I feel I'm a thousand percent right and I might actually be right, but I know that you don't like it and it drives you crazy. 
And I don't have to do it in front of you. I don't have to do it in front of you. I don't have to talk to you about it. And I can easily do it. I don't have to compromise on my, on my, um, on my values. But I can think about how, what kind of pain it's going to cause you. In fact, Rabbi Dessler's uh, grandson still lives in Cleveland, Rabbi Dessler. He says that if you think about the story of Yosef, the, the whole, uh, whole circle of events that started, and even to the Exodus, started because Yosef was in jail, and he cared about the pain that he saw in other people. He was in jail. He was there wrongfully so. But people who are in jail, they don't need to be, they don't need to be sad just because they're in jail. And that's what kind of great things can happen when we pay attention to not causing people unnecessarily pain. Quick review. We learned from the Kazam Sofer that from the Jewish people that even when we're in pain, the Jewish people heard each other's cries. We learned from the Yushalmi and Rabbi Shmulevitz pointed it out that precisely when a person is experiencing a difficulty, that's the time to learn the lesson to be able to have compassion on other people when they're in that position. That, that's the time to really bring it home. Rashi said that we learned from the Makos not to, that we have to have gratitude even to anything that we receive good from, we have to have gratitude to. And the main point is be able to noticing the good, notice when we receive something, and then basic morality to, uh, to that we owe, so, we owe something to someone or something that we receive from. What was the complaint against Moshe when he was advocating? It was a slight lack of humility. Why did Bilam not listen to the stats? Stats that would have made no sense to not listen to the forecast of fire and ice was uh, he, he didn't allow himself to think. Why do we not hear about Moshe's parents until this week's Parsha? Because they couldn't get the Parent of the Year award until um, until the, the it was more than just potential. We learned that from the Chassam Sofer that why did Moshe care about not doing the sacrifices in Egypt because he did not want to cause someone uh, emotional uh, emotional pain. Have a good Shabbos. Actually, I might see all of you pretty soon. So, okay, Chava, I hope you feel you, you feel good. Thanks. Uh, I think Thank I'll you. Stop. What? I'll, st I'll still stop by, I think. Okay. All right, John, we'll see you soon. Yeah. Bye -bye.